0: Hello there friends, it's Antonio Ciambordino and we're back with episode number 10 of Who Cares If You Listen. Uh, it's a big milestone for me, 10 episodes, 10 weeks of putting out this podcast, just because I always had a problem with stick to and this is something that I have stuck to, at least for 10 episodes, and we'll see if we can get to another 10 more before uh, you know fatigue and self-doubt kick in. I've been having fun at it, and this week I got to sit down and chat with my good friend Ari Black. Ari was one of the people that allowed my unpaid amateur comedy stand-up career to really flourish um, he's a great guy he's led a very interesting life and i got to talk to him about his semi-nomadic lifestyle um, his creative endeavors and our head-to-head matchup in fantasy football this week he was very easy to talk to It took a lot of editing just because of the software that I'm using constantly, causing me to pull my hair out. And that's why we're a little late again this week. But again, I doubt you've been waiting on the edge of your seat for this episode to drop. So with that in mind, who cares if you listen? It's been a while. Yeah. My last ever stand-up show that was with you back in January, I think it was very end of January, like just before the Super Bowl. I was, I was making some coronavirus jokes cause it was just kind of like a ha ha it's overseas. It's funny thing. And like, I absolutely bombed, like I got my balls fed to me, but that was my own, that was my own doing. I said, I wanted to do 2020, you know, go in with a bang. And I mean, did I ever? <laughs>
1: Now, are, are you saying that our audience had the
0: foresight to know that all of this was coming? No, no. The Funny enough, the coronavirus jokes, like Felice did a coronavirus joke too. And like that was okay at the time. It was funny because it sounds like the beer. There's like a, there's a very obvious kind of play on words there. It's, it's something that's very clever. What happened was I did a new set and I don't mind. You know, retiring this joke on my podcast. It was a thing about a conversation, an actual conversation I have with Catherine, where she's like, Would you love our our twin boys if they were gay? And I'm like, sure, I'd love it if they were gay with each other. And cool. and then I go into this whole thing where I'm like, if anything, that's better than regular incest. Like, what are they gonna do? Adopt an inbred child? And 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 I recorded that set. I recorded it just on my on my cell phone. And and once I get to the end, like kind of the climax of that joke, there's a audible Ugh from somebody in the front row. <laughs> Honestly, that did that felt better because I was able to enjoy that in the moment than any like uproarious laughter ever could. As soon as
1: you said ugh, I thought maybe it was me, but then you said front row. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna be there obviously. <laughs>
0: Ah, oh, you can't remember all the cringy acts that 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 come through your room, right? I mean, I maybe I should be flattered that way that I'm not, uh, you know. And you invited me back since, so like, God love you. I don't know that oh, I yeah. would have done the same.
1: Well, we were desperate. In fairness,
0: <laughs> how is that going? Have, have you managed to keep it afloat during pandemic times? We
1: have, we have produced I think one show, and canceled two others. So we're batting 333 and in the big leagues that's pretty good.
0: That's Albert Pujols' numbers. Sure. There's so, a name. So for the listeners that is uh Don't Quit Your Day Job Comedy. That's out here in Ottawa. Right now you're you're residencing uh in Rockcliffe Park at the what what is the name of the place? The
1: th- in the park the third tree just past the urinals. And
0: <laughs> it's an outdoor I- show now? No. Okay, Um, I'm very gullible. You can't be you can't use sarcasm on this show.
1: That space, that space, though, used to be outdoors. It was it was once upon a time a a rooftop.
0: I mean, it still is.
1: I don't want to get philosophical here, but I suppose it still is a rooftop. Although now that there's a ceiling about that, that that's the roof, the roof. Uh, It it, once upon a time was a a rooftop patio. They closed it in so we could have it in its previous
0: rendition. Called it an outdoor space, and it could have been, you know, vid friendly. By the way, I I encourage people getting philosophical on my podcast. So if you have any like deep metaphysical topics that you want to get into, like like let's see your cards. I don't even know
1: what metaphysical means. I'm uh, I'm from the states. I mean, uh, public education and all of that that's, being you, what
0: it is. That's true. You're my first ever American guest. I've had my friend wow. Arthur Fells, who went the other way. He was born here in Ottawa, moved to L.A. But you, you, you did the opposite direction. You're you're the draft dodger, allegedly. So you're you're originally from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis. From from
1: the Twin Cities, from Minneapolis. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners or or listener, as it were, would uh, be familiar with the Twin Cities, but they are in fact uh, two cities separated by a river. And if you live in one of those cities, God help you if you ever went to the other one. You would have a, you would never have a
0: purpose for it. There's no reason that they interact. It's not like Budapest, where it just became this big, like metropolitan, like a bridge, you know, dividing these two villages.
1: I I wish to God we had that beautiful chain bridge growing up in in, in Minneapolis. I would have gone to St. Paul more often, um, meaning once at least.
0: The Mall of America is in St. Paul, though, is it not?
1: The Mall of America is in Bloomington, near the airport. I suppose both cities could sort of lay claim to that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I once upon a time I dated a girl from Stacy, which is like Chicago County. And so we went up to Minneapolis and and, you know, I got the sights. We did a Twins game. I got to see the beautiful Metrodome and the Mall of America. I mean, that's that's the highlight of uh, of Minneapolis or, or St. Paul's. Well, it's, it's definitely the highlight of St. Paul okay I can't, I can't, uh, now okay
1: i was gonna i was gonna ask you the twins so you saw the twins when they were still at the dump no
0: no that was no. the first season at target field but, oh, okay. we, but we walked by the metrodome because the vikings were still playing there and i'm like hey look at that wow and and to, and to time it exactly right i the, i was there i bought a brett Favre vikings t-shirt that was my souvenir and a joe mauer Twins jersey. Neither one of them aged particularly well, but at least Mauer. So this was this was the off season after, uh, you know, the Saints tried to give him a concussion and he almost got to the Super Bowl. So he was still a hero very briefly in in, in Minnesota. Thank
1: you for that. Almost, by the way. All I can hear in, in, in my head is interception.
0: Yeah, fair. I mean, it's not. It's not, it hasn't exactly been. It's been a bit of a, a a quarterback graveyard. And we're we're going head to head this week in fantasy football, so this is this is this is on topic. And I
1: have a problematic path forward. If Steve Cornacki were at the Big Wall, uh looking at, at my my path to victory, it's problematic. Uh, we we each have uh, for fantasy uh, Want to be general managers out there? We we each have a player in a game tonight. Uh, I have Deontay Johnson,
0: and I have Ben Roethlisberger.
1: The guy throwing to him. So every time my guy does well, your guy does well. Also, well, here's but the opposite
0: he, is not true. Here's your path to victory. Right? Who are they playing tonight? I don't I don't I don't. I don't know. I haven't watched a football game all season. I honestly don't know why I'm even playing oh. fantasy football. I just like. That- I just like looking at numbers. That is really the, they're playing the Washington uh, football, football team. team. The Washington okay. football team. Why don't they just come up with a name? How hard, is does it take a year to come up with a non-racist name?
1: It might take two years. Apparently they're saying next year they'll also be called football team.
0: Call it, just find a less racist name. Like you got to ease them off of it. It's like methadone. Anything would have been call them like the Washington Wops. I I give them permission. It's got alliteration. Just have a guy with like a big curly mustache tossing a pizza.
1: But Dan Snyder owns that team though. I mean, would foreskins be inappropriate? <laughs> I
0: mean <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I guess you have more of the cultural currency a, to, a, to to, to go with the foreskin jokes. <laughs> I don't even know what a poil is. I know a Moil, oh, the, the the cutoff, f- man. I, I know what a moil is. The cut off okay. man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, keep the tip.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, three sport references in one in one little thing there. That's nice.
0: Beautiful. Um, yeah. So they're playing the Washington football team tonight, and your path to victory is if the ten and O Pittsburgh Steelers get their balls absolutely fed to them because you're currently three measly fantasy points ahead of me. So if it's like a 45 to nothing, like the Patriots over the chargers, you're, you're, you're gold. That's correct.
1: I mean, the other path would have been injury, but it's, it's uh it wouldn't be very Christian of me
0: to, to wish for someone to be, you know, hurt. It wouldn't be very Christian of you, No, but, uh, but Ben Roethlisberger is listed as questionable and, and, You know, he survived like a couple of motorcycle accidents and concussion. Apparently, this is the great thing about pro athletes. They can have COVID for two and a half days. I did not know that was possible. It's like you got COVID on a Thursday, but you're okay for Sunday. You're fine. It's all the PEDs. They just just ward it off. Just take a NyQuil and the salt tablet and just walk it off. There There you go. Beautiful. So you're working from home these days as are most of the world. You're at home home and and I, I
1: receive a paycheck.
0: What are you doing? What, what kind of work are you? Because I, I know very little of the man behind the microphone. I
1: work for a
0: what has been called
1: a mature startup. I, we're, we're gliding past the startup phase and uh, nowhere near maturity. So there's that
0: Do you want to talk about it at all or is that I can
1: I can talk about it. It's no, it's good. It's an it's an interesting place. It's it's a uh, digital marketing shop is is what it is. And uh, I'm the old man. I'm the old man by 20 years. I think one of them has finally moved into his 30s. But when I when I came on board, I was, you know, I was in late 40s. in a early to mid twenties crowd.
0: I mean, that's gotta be sort of rejuvenating to be in sort of a younger crowd to be hip and cool. It's why I have TikTok on my phone. What is that? It's like, <laughs> it's like YouTube, but for people with ADHD. Ah, I could, there, done. It could do that. We, I've never great. had
1: that on my phone. I, I still, I do have Snapchat on my phone.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, Snapchat. I have a couple of friends that are really into Snapchat. I never understood I any photo I take no matter how lascivious or in poor taste or, you know, out of context. I want it to last forever. There's never been anything where it's like burn after reading. If I have that, I shouldn't be taking that picture. And you haven't
1: had the the compulsion to say, put a dog ears or a pig snout on.
0: You can do, you can do that on Instagram. I can, I can put it on myself. But again, I mean, the whole thing with Snapchat is like, oh, I want to show this teehee. I don't want anyone to find out about it. It was just such a stupid way of operating. Everything on the internet is there forever forever it it hasn't been cool
1: since that congressman did it what was that 10 years ago did,
0: did he have a snapchat anthony weiner was it or one Wiener, of those of
1: course the aptly named weiner
0: <laughs> well when he came back to life during the last presidential election they had the, the new york post called it Dicky leaks which was i mean as far as puns go that's right at the top of it
1: uh the post that Paragon of journalism.
0: So, see, so you're an American, my first ever American guest. The I first won't ever, take offense to that. The first ever guest who could vote in the U.S. election. Like everybody has an opinion on on American politics, and but uh, but very few of them actually matter. Like my opinion is 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 decidedly irrelevant. Yours, uh, you were, I guess, eligible to vote in a swing state. Maybe I was
1: eligible to vote in a state. Uh, the state was Washington.
0: That's, so my I'm opinion imagining what else. I'm imagining with all the tech startups and Microsoft and everything, that's a blue state, right? That is
1: a solid blue. Yeah. Uh, the, he is now retired, but the, the representative, the member of Congress from the district I vote in was, I don't know that he called himself a socialist. Uh, for the longest time, but he essentially was before Bernie made that cool.
0: Yeah. You guys are a little late to the party. Like Mm -hmm. I think, you know, socialism was, was all the rage back in like 1895, like, you know, Emile Zola writing some books and things like that. And it's like, now all of a sudden it's become hip and trendy. Like I'm waiting for, uh, you know, ragtime music to come around again.
1: I could see AOC in a, in a TikTok video with ragtime music
0: doing some Scott Joplin. I'd watch that. Of course. (laughs) So what was what was the inspiration for you to come to Canada originally? Because you're you're kind of a semi nomadic creature, if I can say that. This is this is true.
1: I couldn't get enough of winter having grown up in Minnesota. Uh, I moved here from sunny San Diego.
0: So that's weird. I I know people who went from Ottawa to the Bay Area. I haven't seen anyone do it. Vice versa. Yeah. And and your and your buddy uh, Arthur, was it who went to L.A.? He went to LA. Yeah. Actually, he's in San Francisco now, so that's okay. almost that's almost the same way. And then I have another friend who, uh, he was an engineer on the O-Train project over here, the phase two. And then from that, he got headhunted to work on the BART. And now he's living in Oakland and, uh, you know, soaking up the, the Bay Area over there. This is great. So they're going to make
1: San Francisco and Oakland, uh, equally inoperable and, and shut down in terms of transit, as, as Ottawa is. That's lovely.
0: This is the long-term GOP strategy. You know, forget about 2020. We're, we're just going to make all the trains run not on time. The anti-Mussolini. Absolutely. That's often yeah. how I refer to Trump as, the anti-Mussolini. There it is. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So, so, Canada, you came here from San Diego. You said, yes. you know, fuck all of this sunshine and... Uh, and you know cosmopolitan lifestyle. I want to go to Ottawa because that
1: that famous cosmopolitan lifestyle of of sunny San Diego. That's that's correct. It was the year was two. It was twenty twenty jumbled up two o two 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 thousand. Okay. What did we used to call it back in the day? And uh, I was married to a Canadian girl. It had, it had mm-hmm. already been a few years, mm-hmm. and we she. We moved back. She moved. I mean, we moved. It was moving back for her. It was moving
0: here for me. So you did it for love. That's, that's what it comes down to. Well,
1: let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's uh,
0: marriage. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Don't put the cart before the horse. I understand. No fair. So you've been here 18 years, but, but in, in the ensuing years, there was a, there was a coming and then there was a going, and then there was a coming again and, and a going again, or do I have the trajectory right? Yeah
1: <laughs> it's always it's always hard to tell I've I've been around and even prior to that I I had been uh, I'd been around in the
0: states quite a bit
1: uh experienced uh I guess the best or worst of everything New York and LA and, and a few places in between.
0: What what inspires that? I mean I'm I'm a very much a homebody and not even pre-COVID. Like I've kind of stayed in the same concentric part of town where I grew up in for 34 years now. But like what what motivates someone to kind of go cross country, go to a new town, you know, pull up their roots?
1: This is this is a good question. You really you really do want to get philosophical in this thing, don't you? Yeah.
0: I, I don't lie. I had
1: the bug. I had the trap. But from from when I was little, my, my parents were ridiculously old for the time. Apparently, it's a, it's a normal thing now, but at the time, so my and my dad had always had a dream of retiring early. So he was he was basically a lazy bum, as his dad called him, from the time I can I can remember. But that also meant that we we traveled a lot, and although we had the same home home base for ever since I can remember, we we did live or or take extended stays in a, in a number of places uh, over the years. And so I guess having that, yeah, that travel bug. I mean, I've at at some point. I don't know. I don't know if I had the goal of of visiting all the countries in the world. I I think I had a round number like a hundred in my head that I would get to. I got to come up a little bit short of that,
0: but wow, I I got pretty. I mean, off the top of your head, ballpark, how many countries you've been to?
1: Yeah, it depends what you call a country, but it's it's probably seventies or eighties.
0: So so I mean that's you know I've been to been to three counting Canada. So Hungary. What's the third? My 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 mother's family's Hungarian. Uh, It was the summer of 2002. It's that's the summer of people, you know, making these large treks. And we spent my mother, my grandmother. We met up with my aunt who lives there. And we went around for two weeks kind of exploring relatives and, you know, the countryside and uh, doing all of the touristy shit. It, It was fun. I mean, you know, I, Toronto to Budapest is not a pleasant flight for someone who is airplane averse to begin with. But, you know, if, if I was forced to do another vacation like that, I would do it. I wouldn't go kicking and screaming. But but I I don't necessarily seek out that kind of experience. It sounds like you, in order to get to like 70 some odd countries, you seek that out. That's a part of you. It is.
1: And, and I, had a, I had a pretty good streak for. For a while there, I think the years from 2000 to 2010 were, were the, the bulk of it. So for me, that not to date myself, but that would have been my okay. 30s, which it's a weird thing. M- money wise and career wise, it's not the typical time to travel in terms you of. Do in the you do it in your 20s usually. But yeah, either either you do it in like your 20s or like your 50s or 60s and, and sort of but the th- your 30s and 40s, it turns out if you can swing it is at least was for me a great time to go because you can you can appreciate it. You're at a level of maturity if you, especially if you're going to a place like Europe, Asia as well, experiencing these cultures, going to museums, dining out. I was not a foodie in my 20s, but being a foodie in my 30s and 40s and going to Europe in particular was great. And so we just made it a point of spending all of our free time. And when I wasn't, you know, when we weren't traveling, I was I was planning travel or booking travel. I'm one of those Uber
0: planner types, not Uber. Yeah, like Uber vehicles. G- yeah the german word yeah over but see i, I couldn't even use an English but it's interesting word, it's it, it well it's interesting how travel, the german so word doesn't translate perfectly because uber is over if you said you were an over planner i'm picturing this like really annoying like you know compulsive neurotic guy who's got like you know push pins on a map and he's got his frommer's guide and i don't want to hang out with him on a vacation but is that an out? uber planner that's just like you know he's like a savant of of, of vacationing he knows all the good spots. Yeah, that's right. What was that movie Euro trip? yeah. There was there was there was an, an over planner. Right yes, right? yes. And then I think he ended up getting high off absinthe in the red light district in the Netherlands or something like that. I I remember seeing that movie years and years ago. Um, yeah, I think it came out around the same time as Passion of the Christ. I don't know why I know that. It's just it's sort of a fun fact. And they're so I- similar. <laughs> So, I mean, 70 countries, there's got to be a lot in there that are sort of your, your, I don't want to say typical tourist destinations, but you know, they are, there's a lot of countries I would not bat an eye if people would go to, but there's got to be some that are a little bit more off the beaten path that kind of raise eyebrows that are like sort of a very unique experience And any come to mind. Uh, There could be
1: a few we will get there, but you know, it's funny. We were, we were just the other day talking about Budapest. It was our, not my first trip, but our first trip together, the Mm missus and myself. So that was, that was her first time outside North America. And we did that. ear rail pass thing, Budapest. Prague was our sort of Eastern Europe base because we had friends yep. there. And then we, we went to Vienna and Budapest and came back. I apparently was not as enough of an Uber planner at that point in 2000, because we went on a national holiday. What would it be? What, what's
0: the national holiday in March? Ooh, I was going to say their, their, their national feast day is St. Stephen's day. And that's in, that's in August in March. I ha- I have actually, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you, I'd have to ask my aunt, she occasionally Listens to this uh, this podcast as uh, well. If you happen to be listening and you know the holiday in March,
1: that's that's the time we were there. So more or less everything was shut down and it was snowing. Now, if you're from Ottawa and you're you're in Budapest in March and it's snowing, it's not a big deal. If you're living in San Diego at the time. And you wake up in your you know, balcony room at the Hotel Gellert and you look across the river and you see the the bridges and everything is is this this beautiful snow wonderland.
0: It's I stayed at the Hotel Gellert, I, right on the top of the hill. Did I love that. I had the spa. I was yeah. all about the spa. I love getting my, my schwitz on wherever of I course. go and travel. You yeah. have to. And an interesting fact, St. Gellert, he was a, a Roman priest who tried to convert the pagans of the village of Buddha who... Uh, who uh, were, you know, decidedly pagan. And they didn't take too kindly to his message. And they stuffed him in a wine barrel and rolled him down his eponymous hill where he died at the bottom. And St. Stephen, king of Hungary, was so moved by his religious zeal that he converted to Christianity and then slaughtered all the pagans as retribution. So, yeah, fun, fun, fun fun fact.
1: (laughs) I... I, I too have or had a Hungarian grandmother and I wish, I wish she has stories. She was a character.
0: They usually are. I,
1: I got, I like to, they usually, they usually are. I like to say I got my, my, my drinking habits from her. uh, I learned early, I, I learned early on but she didn't have a lot of stories from from the old country I, I sort of that I had a, I had a family that I already I already knew what that was I mean not that old country but yeah old. yeah
0: yeah yeah mine mine came over yeah. in 1970 so like the roots were 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 fairly strong like I didn't have to do the ancestry.com to kind of figure out where things are and we still have a few rel- My my wife really thinks I should take the boys there when they're a little bit older so that they can get kind of the family experience and I've never been to Italy and I don't really have any family we keep in touch with over there so like that's pretty much it as far as like you know retracing the diaspora those are
1: those are two good places if you're gonna if you're gonna retrace and, and do the the heritage
0: i guess roots roots kind of trip you could do worse yeah no i mean absolutely neither one of them is uh Especially dangerous. The exchange rate is good. Uh, you know what else? What else do you want? No, this is
1: this is true. So we were talking about Budapest last last week and saying we were surprised that given we couldn't experience a lot of things that we should have twenty years ago. At some point along the way, we would have been back, and we we haven't yet. And not to say we can't, but you know that that golden age of travel
0: has just who knows ended. when that's going to come back. Even I mean, at a certain point, I mean, obviously the coronavirus. We hope is going to dissipate, and maybe we get a few years without the next bug. But I think it's really causing people to reevaluate sort of that global lifestyle that we used to have. It
1: has. There are people I follow, and and the nomadic types, as you say, the the true nomads who literally don't even have a home address. And I I still see them in some of these some of these countries. And one just went from they had been in the Philippines for for when COVID really cranked up in March and then they were there for a few more months and then moved on to Mexico. That's it. That's a great lifestyle
0: for
1: them. I just, yeah, you, like you have, you and I, you have to that.
0: be a little cavalier though. I mean, at a certain point, if there's like, especially during the age of COVID, like I knew some people that were s- snowbirds that lived in Mexico seven months out of the year, came back to Canada because lo and behold, we have a little bit better healthcare over here. I don't know that I'd want to be in Mexico during a a viral outbreak. I don't
1: see it personally. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And I have this, I guess I had this fantasy about, you know, is would there have been a country this winter? Obviously it's not now we know, but even back in the summer, was there going to be a country this winter, a, a warm place we get to. Cuba, Mexico is sort of a toss-up. It's neither, obviously, is the answer sure. for most of us who enjoy travel. Yeah, no, it's it's not going to happen. It's not just the 14-day quarantine that you got to do on the way back. I mean, if you're working from home, that's the least of your worries. Getting sick in, a, in another country, let alone here, is is a little bit less desirable.
0: I've got friends in Florida that keep trying to goad me to go back and, and visit them. And I was here, I was there this time last year where we were also heads up, in fantasy football. And I saw fish eagles in, in person. And it's crazy to think how much has changed in a year, but they're like, you know, come everything's open. It's fine. You'll just wear your mask and it's good to go. And I mean, obviously you do you, it's a different mentality. It's a different lifestyle, but like that kind of, it freaks me the hell out. But in theory, if, if, if anything I understand about epidemiology is true, it should mean that like They'll be over it a lot sooner, just in the most horrific, worst possible way.
1: Florida of all places. I I mean, Florida used to be the place that, you know, you sent your parents to go die. It still is. It still is. Now it's just sooner. It's the express version of that.
0: They they had to get on the fast track.
1: (laughs) The, The Disney version of that is that right
0: no line step on up covid Get your. what what do they call that <laughs> i remember that when i was there with a kid it's like the the like the the mouse pass or something where you you've already spent fast, yeah, fast pass yeah you've already spent six hundred dollars to get in the park like what's another 200 on top of that you don't appreciate that when you don't work and you're just a little kid and you want to go see mickey and go on the rides and shit but like just thinking back now like not even adjusting for inflation it was something like five hundred dollars a person to go to see Epcot and Universal Studios and Disneyland all in like a in a two or three day uh, excursion. And I'm thinking now, plus inflation, plus exchange, like you're probably if I take my two boys and my wife, that's probably like a good four grand just in just in like accommodation and 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 you could do Vegas for that. You could actually do Europe. Oh, sure. As long as you don't eat, yeah. as long as you don't eat out too much, you can, you could do your very nicely that way.
1: You go to a lot of comfort food type restaurants. Don't do the fine dining thing. But other, other than that, zero Michelin um,
0: stars or less. Correct.
1: If there's, if there's a negative Michelin star, like if this hot dog is of questionable
0: origin, I, I'm all over it. Why have the other tire people not gotten in on, on the fine dining racket? Why is Michelin corner? Why are there no Firestone stars? There's there's no
1: Yokohama guide right. Kumho tires is is just that's a guidebook name right there.
0: You would think Pirelli of all of them like the Italians like to be bon vivants. I would think like if this place had some Pirelli stars, that's like that's a that's a mean uh, it's a mean gnocchi or something like that.
1: Four four forks twirling the pasta that that kind of
0: icon. Uh. You're a funny guy, Ari. I, I'm really glad that you you agreed to come on my podcast and do this. How did you get into stand up originally? I,
1: I walked in. They, they, they let me in.
0: Where? How?
1: I was doing shtick in Toastmasters. I was, I was doing public speaking.
0: So what is, I, I have a, a couple of friends that have told me about Toastmasters. And as far as I can tell, it's just people that are learning how to do public speaking and kind of You know, project their voice, and is that is that kind of the idea? It's it's two kinds of
1: people. It's it's I'm gonna generalize here. It's two types. You got the kind of people who are who have a fear of public speak. Yep, and and then you have the others, like some people we know who just won't shut the fuck up. Right,
0: right. Which one is you? Hard to
1: imagine. I am going to let you take a wild guess.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I the only other person that I, I speak to regularly, or at least I used to, was one of my squash partners. He's a great guy, works at CRA. He's a computer engineer, like absolute salt of the earth. But like, I think he's very much in the camp of like, this was me trying to get out of my shell. This is me trying to like learn how to be, uh, uh, you know, an engaging speaker and presenter because he probably had to get a talk at work kind of thing. And, you know, I don't I don't see the CRA. Yeah, it's
1: CRA. Sorry to cut you off, the CRA is actually one of the biggest. Uh, there are some government agencies in Canada that, that get it in terms of a need for their people to be better communicators. The CRA, call it what you want as a taxpayer and fear of an audit and all that. But they've been great in terms of getting Toastmasters. I I, I may know your your, your squash partner. Let's, Michael
0: Gracequist. I don't
1: offhand, but I'm sure we know people are common and I, I may have visited his club at some point I usually go on a speaking tour and, and see different clubs. I'll ask
0: him I I've tried to email him a few times we had a little bit of correspondence because he's not a social media guy and it's kind of sad when you don't have someone on like Facebook or Twitter it's almost like it's almost like you know the guy who lives out on the rural route like a like a hermit and, and it's, which isn't, which isn't the case, but it, it kind of feels like, you know, you have to make this real decided effort to communicate with them. And, and so I tried to keep in touch with them, cause I'm not going to see him playing squash anytime soon. There's not a chance in hell that I'm going to be doing that till I got a shot in the arm. So, but I, you know, I'll, I'll ask him if he knows you, he might. Yeah, cool. So Toastmaster, so, it, so, it so you're really involved yeah. in that.
1: I I was, I haven't been so much the last, the last few years. I've been so day job focused, honestly, any, any free time I have is comedy. And so I kind of shifted from Toastmasters to, to comedy. But it, what it is, I started it back in grad school. I didn't start, it's not like I founded Toastmasters, but I, I began my Toastmasters journey back in grad school. And even before that, a friend of mine was telling me he, this is 1994 to put a, a sort of timestamp on it. He was at a Toastmasters meeting, which met his club met in a church. So right away, I'm fascinated. They're at a church. This is in the Bay Area. And he's telling me about this thing that they do, which I later find out is called table topics and it's you have two minutes to speak on a topic that they give you and the topic that they gave him in a church was the the topic was howard stern and he right. had the pro side he had to he had to defend howard stern and the free speech and all that and you know his right to say fuck, and why the fcc would find in a church <laughs> maybe it's an american I, yeah. thing I it doesn't that doesn't scare me that much no, but I, I loved. I yeah, I loved the idea of that, and so I joined. I joined when I was in grad school, and, and then in another grad school because the first one wouldn't have me for longer, long enough to get the
0: degree. It turns out, and I had a great time with what, it. What in was it? Years. What was? The, what were you studying over there?
1: A business, apparently. Allegedly, <laughs> alleged business. But I have an MBA. I, I, I most people would uh, frown on that sort of thing nowadays,
0: but. You don't you oh. don't strike me as the MBA type. You're not sitting here with the yeah, banker shirt telling me about maximizing profits.
1: Yeah. So I went I went to this this the second place at the place I graduated from where they gave me that piece of paper is is more nobody can see the shirt that I'm wearing. But it it it, it, it it's more aligned with the the Hawaiian shirt. It was called Thunderbird. It's no longer a business. It's part of. It's now part of Arizona State University. Okay. And people ask when when USC plays them in football, who do I cheer for? I'm like, I fucking care about ASU. I'm a, I'm an SC guy. I um,
0: yeah, and that's a shame that I don't have a video podcast because that is a lovely. It's black with like some kind of gray palm trees on it. You've got you've got some is. flat. You're you're like you're like the whiter Gabriel Iglesias. I, it's it's wonderful. I love it. You're right. I, that's great. I, his
1: his his wardrobe, now I'm not a huge VW
0: bus guy, although I'm learning to appreciate
1: it more, but they those those tacos tacos con todo, when they, they do it with the the episode where they're actually cooking in front of his whole fleet of VW bandwagon bus things is 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 amazing. So I, I'm at this grad school that's kind of aligned with that. Um, and, uh, it was an international business program. People are from all over the world. It was, it was a, it was a heck of a lot of fun. And, uh, in Arizona, which is now a blue state, I don't know for how long, but go figure, <laughs> so I got into Toastmasters there It was a, it was a, it was a fun time. And, and then ever since most of the time that I've been in Ottawa, I've been, I've been involved in Toastmasters as well, cause it's the winter and you gotta get out and do something right. Especially when you're married, the missus got, you gotta get out of the
0: house. Sure. There's no option. Got to so get away from the kids. They man. would,
1: yeah. They would have me, and so I, 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 paid my dues and joined a couple of clubs and gave speeches. And I, I obviously was that guy who just wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. And then eventually, I found myself at conferences sharing, you know, this this conference or this portion of the day or doing that or whatever. And so you're doing shtick to warm up the crowd, if nothing else. I did humorous speeches as well. Toastmasters has four, I think four contests that they do and one is the international speech contest where you can actually go all the way to where the world championships are held i never got past our our district but i did compete in the humorous speech contest the the two worlds are are weird because speaking and comedy are not there's there's some overlap the venn diagram is kind of like i guess the mastercard logo there's a little bit of overlap mm-hmm. but there's not a ton and if you go into comedy as a speaker and you have it all prepared, and it's all structured. You know the audience has heard speeches before, of course. And they didn't. It turns out they did not come to that basement slash dark, smelly, sticky establishment to hear a fucking speech.
0: I. They're, they're a so, toastmasters. They came to hear a speech, did they not? They are toastmasters.
1: They, they. 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 That's why. That's why they're there in the middle of the day at the church, right? At the, at the club they're they're there for something else. And so you have to, you have to relearn your game all over. Again. Well, what, so, so, what, actually, so what's kind
0: of, the difference between doing like a tight six and doing a speech? The only
1: real similarity is knowing where six minutes is knowing where your mark is and never, never overstay your welcome. That's, that's the big similarity and the, 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 differences are all like if the audience can, they know you mentioned Fluffy, right? If you see fluffy in concert in Phoenix. And then you see him a week later in Houston. Yeah. The, the, what's the, what's the, well, how many cliches can we, can we mix in this? The, the, uh, the bloom is, what is it? The, what, what the dew is off the bloom and the rose. What, what's the, what's the metaphor? I, I don't know flowers, but that sounds pretty
0: good to me. Yeah.
1: The, the little bit of the magic is, is gone when you see that comic the second time, or even if you just go to the late show. Yeah. Right. And you see, and you see, you see her, or him for for the second time. And you see the the same act and you go, oh, that's okay. Now I know that's prepared, but there's something and maybe it's alcohol more than anything. And that, that first time around when you hear a comic up there, you know, there's some preparation that goes into it, obviously with some comics more than others, but it, it should have a natural flow.
0: Right. I did. I, I I hear what you're saying. Like I went to see Gabriel Iglesias actually when he was here in Ottawa. My It was like yeah. the only stand-up show I think I could bring my mom to. So that was kind of like what well, we did. I bought him at full price and then the son of a bitch put him on Groupon for like 90% off. I guess they wanted <laughs> to kind of pad the seats over there. But like there was the stuff from the Netflix special that I had already heard before. And it's kind of like it's exactly that. I know where the timing is. It's not as organic. Like your little asides are actually like scripted, even though it seems very effortless. But then there's like those little bits in between where it's like, oh, I haven't heard that one before. And then it's got it's got that. So, I mean, there are some comedians that really do a very prescriptive speech style comedy i'm thinking specifically like a like a john oliver or like rowan atkinson did a couple where he was like a university lecturer but that maybe isn't necessarily a club comic i think that's a very unique environment
1: yeah and when you said there are some who do the prescription i'm i'm thinking brits because that is more their their thing
0: yeah i can't think of an american i think i think uh jason alexander did that a little bit because he said you know he wanted to cash in on his time on Seinfeld he wanted to get on stage but he was never he was never a stand up guy he was like a, i think his background was like broadway or something like that so Indeed. so so he decided to go that route michael richards decided to try stand up and uh and then youtube yeah how's he doing these days i haven't Mm -hmm. i haven't heard of him since uh the incident yeah the the incident that i don't want to get into on my podcast that's a shame
1: so interesting though we were we were in just before all this blew up back in february we were in la and we we went to a few clubs and we did i'm thinking about this we saw i am going to say girl she's probably my we saw a woman in two different clubs, two different audiences, two different settings. When you see that person in the midst of a, a, a whole lineup and you see their their arc, if you want to call it that, or how they react to that room and that audience and that lineup that they're in. We're at the last factory, it's the first night we saw her. And a couple nights later, we were there seeing Jeff Garland was the headline. Wow. And yeah, and that was already left out. After we had the Laugh Factory at the last we saw. We were there to see Russell Peters, who was a headliner, and then it was just sort of a Tuesday night fun thing. In the middle of it, uh, they brought up Chris Tucker. It was, just, it was a fun as a night.
0: cameo. That's that's amazing. As a
1: as a cameo, and then Donnell Rawlings was in that lineup as well. So that was a, that was a fun. Th- they were o- they were
0: opening Chris- for Russell Peters right? Unbelievable. Like I remember when he was yeah. just like the guy with like CTV comedy now, and it's just like, he's completely blown up. CTV
1: comedy now. So he was on parallel with uh, a Wathak for example.
0: Right. And so like, how does, how does one trajectory, like I, some of my favorite comics, I watched like their CTV comedy now specials. They're amazing. And it's just like how some of them, blow up and become international superstars i i i don't have a great prognostication for that it feels like a roll of the dice
1: it is i have this visual of i don't know what kind of contraption where all the slots just have to line up perfectly and then you just that you know that that little ball bearing goes through i, I guess that would be like a pachinko game or something where it's just if you're familiar with that where it's all yeah. just sort of you just find that that flow and then you you go through
0: I've never played it, but I watch a lot of Japanese TV and I know that that's a den of degenerate gamblers and they figure a way to get around Japan's no gambling laws. I have never experienced that high of a
1: concentration of of nicotine uh, before or or since as a a pachinko parlor. It's that plus the the fluorescent lights and and the sound. It could be someone's version of hell. It's not mine. I have a few others beyond that, but it, it, it could be close. Wow.
0: Okay. Uh, that's on my bucket list. I would love to go see Japan. I feel like it, Japan. It's a sim. It's similar to you know North America in some ways. They've definitely adopted some Westernization, but then there's other ways where it's just like I'm breathing the air of another planet. They just feel like they're so, like their cultural mores and their way of life is just so far removed from us. Like you can't even comprehend it.
1: It is, and I haven't been back in, in in about 20 years. But I I've lived there for almost three years all over mostly the 80s, well 80s and 90s. And as you as you live there, every every day, there's potentially something that that could shock you. Right. Even after years.
0: So what is I mean, this is a huge sweeping question. And obviously, if you're going to a laugh factory, I'm not asking you to compare it to absolute comedy on Preston. But like what what's the experience like at an American stand up show? Because I've the few that I've been to. I feel like there's it's it's one of the things like with lawyers, they have so many more stand-ups over there that like the quality control is all over the map.
1: That's a fair assessment. I can't
0: I cannot with certitude to go back to Anthony
1: Wiener, man. I can't with certitude say what what the scene is. I've heard stories of you know, the scene in New York or the scene in, in LA. Right. For example. Uh, just as an, an, an interloper coming in for for a few shows the expectation when you go to a show on the <laughs> sunset strip or somewhere near it is going to be this is going to be huge or if you you're in New York and you're at I used to when I lived in Manhattan I used to I used to go Carolines was a, a few blocks from my house it was actually a few blocks from my office or I go to some of the other clubs either of those cities the expectation i suppose Vegas to to some extent the expectation as a as an audience members, you're going to see a good
0: shot. And if you don't, you'd be disappointed. Fun fact, my first ever stand-up show in the States, um, the girl I was dating at a time wanted to go to Vegas. We, we booked, uh, you know, four nights at the Bellagio and Expedia offered me like they had these like little add ons for free. And we got tickets to see Brad Garrett's comedy club at the MGM grand. And Honestly, didn't even know Brad Garrett was a comic. All I knew about him was he was the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. And um, we we went there and they were like, he's not here tonight, but we still got a great lineup for you anyway. And it was like it, these people had been frozen in carbonite since the 80s. It was every like evening at the improv cliché. Like, like the, the, the middle act just before the headliner was, was a black comic doing like the, you know, ever notice how white guys walk like this, but black guys walk like that. And it's like, oh my God. And, and, and at one point there's, there's, there's a woman in the front row who, who is Asian, you know, you can tell by looking at her and he says, Hey, yo, Asian lady, y'all drive a Honda Civic. And, and, and it was just, I, I, by the time the headliner got up, it was like, we just had about a good 55 minutes of cringe. And finally I said, you know what? I think we could have more fun on the strip. And that is the one and only time, you know, I've done some dicey open mic rooms. That is the one and only time I did not stay to the end of a show. I'm like, wow, I'm good. I'm good. I got, I'm only here for a finite amount of time and I don't want to spend it here. No, that's. That's fair. It's like going somewhere and
1: having a, you know, a bad meal. and You gotta go have a burger afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I think that speaks to Vegas. I don't say Vegas uniquely, but Vegas in particular, as opposed to New York and LA, there's more of a middle America crowd and, and the parallel I draw to Vegas comedy is seeing comics on cruise ships. They're doing that. It's that same audience and they're, they're doing that same shtick. There was a guy, I won't say his name, he had been on Last Comic Standing and he had been shamed off for doing uh, not just offensive material, but like racially insensitive. And you know, it was a, a white male comic doing stuff that he could have gotten away with in the 60s. But okay. oof, this was 20 the late to the late aughts. Okay. Saw him on Last Comic Standing, figured I'd never see the guy again. Two years later, saw him on a Disney cruise ship.
0: That's, Go that's the kiss of death though. Like if you've, if you've already made it as a comic and then you're on the cruise ship. Like I, list, I yeah. listened to Bill Burr and he said he did one and it's just, he tanked his first show and then had to do like five more for the exact same crowd because you're not going to port anytime soon. That's right.
1: I, I heard that episode. He was talking about that. And I'm imagining him not just doing, you know, doing his act for the same crowd, but you're right into them on the Lido deck.
0: Yeah. Ugh. I, I, I've never known any comics who've done cruise ships. I had, I mean, in a previous life I did music and I know musicians that would do it. And it was just, you know, just keep a tight beat, just, you know, keep doing your thing. You're basically just there to be Muzak and get your paycheck and go home. And it's not, you know, you don't strike me as the cruise ship kind of crowd. That's not the kind of traveling that you're doing. For the most part.
1: Now, we, we had, again, pre-COVID or even well before that, we, we had taken a, a number of cruises. And sometimes it's in like the Mediterranean just because you want to see the places. Sure. The, the either end of it. So like from Athens to Istanbul, we
0: took a cruise. I could see that being Obviously, pretty.
1: Yeah. Everything along the way is pretty. And, and everything before the cruise and after the cruise is, is fascinating.
0: I've I've had friends, though. Like I, I, I make friends with a lot of older folks when we're down in Florida. And they tell me about how wonderful the cruise was from from, you know, Fort Lauderdale to St. Bart's where they're just, you know, floating around in the Atlantic, getting drunk as a skunk and going to the buffet three times a day. I thought you were going to say
1: how wonderful the cruise was from Fort Lauderdale to Fort Lauderdale.
0: I mean, in a roundabout way, that's kind of what it that's is, such, right? It's, yeah. It's what that is. We, we, right? They do a layover in Jamaica to buy costume jewelry and fake Cuban cigars and then turn right around.
1: This is, this is, this is what they do. I was on a ship though on carnival of all lines. And maybe this is maybe there's a there's a point to this. Saw a comic, uh, God rest his soul. I, I found out recently that he, he passed away. Oh. he was. In, saw him in the theater, and he did a he did a he did a yeoman's effort given the room and, and the audience and all that. But then he he had a blue show at midnight in the lounge, and it was it was amazing. It was so much fun being in that audience. Just two two different rooms, two different audiences, two different times a day. No kids, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, there were also kids at dead, a stand-up
0: uh, show in the
1: in the theater. There were oh, so it has to
0: be clean, exactly. But in the lounge,
1: not so much. Like yeah, I don't think absolute. I don't think Jeff
0: Dunham could pull that off, and he's got Muppets. Correct. That is a horror. Well, anyway, I mean, I, I I tip my hat to Clean Comics. I feel like if you can do a set like a guy like a Jim Gaffigan who like you know that's a PG thirteen for the most part, and yet it's still funny. I feel like there's just so much. You know, it's like cooking. It's like being a vegan chef. It's like you've you've restricted yourself so much and it's like you still manage to make magic. I mean, that that's a testimony to your, 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 your brand. It's a good analogy, vegan chef. And yet if you find the
1: right niche and the right people and market yourself the right way, you're going to have a lot of vegans, you know, dining off of your food and there's a lot of clean comics, especially the ones who who figure out the path
0: to corporate gigs. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, you, you and I run in the same sort of stand up circles and there's a lot of people who I think rightly are kind of pushing back against this sort of, um, I don't want to say cancel culture, but the idea that you have to be very, very PC, you can't say anything that'll offend anybody, but then you get into the clubs. And I mean, if you're going to be offensive, you have to do it in an intelligent way. You can't just be like the fourth guy at the open mic with the baseball cap and the beard going up and telling rape jokes. And then, you know, everyone's just sitting there kind of very, you know, you can be edgy if it's if it's tastefully done, but you can't just be provocative for the sake of it. For sure. Yeah. But but you are in a unique position, you and the lovely Miss Felice Miranda, you you're not only a stand up, but you you're an impresario. Of of stand up comedy, how did you how did you get into that? I feel like that's a big transition. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be brave enough to start my own room.
1: We we did it the opposite direction, so we that's how we started.
0: You started the room before you started stand up.
1: Yeah, so we were we were we both come from Toastmasters. We were both from Toastmasters at the time, or maybe Felice had already retired from that. And we had this idea. It was 2012. It was right around this time, eight years ago, 2012, and. We talked about it and said, well, how do you how do you get into a club and how do you do this well you know felice knows a lot of people she's a realtor she can fill a room now over the years th- those same people don't always come back to the every show right but early on it was it was not hard for us to to get audiences i don't remember if you were with us when we were at the brass monkey or did you join us when we were at the other place down down funny David.
0: thing Catherine came to watch my show the first one I did with you was at the Brass Monkey I think we had we just done Absolute together that's how we met she came to see me at the Brass Monkey then when I started my articles she came to see me at Greenfields out in Barhaven. that's right and I've been hitting on her for like three years straight at law school and that was that was what did it that is she she she'd seen enough she decided she wanted to to sign up for that it's uh, July 20th two thousand. 14 that was you know don't quit your day job friday night at or thursday night at greenfields and uh the rest was history i mean you know two kids and you know three two years of marriage later right that's amazing Uh, yeah all because of you it's entirely yours and felice's fault yeah we'll we'll, we'll put it more Felice. (laughs) okay fair enough but one of the magic things about it like the brass monkey was an interesting kind of venue because One of the hardest parts of doing the amateur room is getting those regular patrons that are coming to watch your show and not yell at the barkeep to put on UFC or play their fucking billiards, right? Yeah,
1: that's a that's a great venue to learn at though, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, cuz you're like under the stairs there, you're kind of tucked in. If you want to do something and see if it works out, you've got a few people that are going to come and listen, but but you really need to do something to get the audience in.
1: You do. And I can still hear almost every time I'm on stage, somewhere in the back of my head, I can hear a hockey playoff game on TV. And and balls cranking i mean
0: cool right and you try to drown it out or do you i try and just you know pretend it's not there i mean jen hayward god lover she goes off and it's like big round of applause for the rednecks playing nine ball woo this is this is the thing as a as a
1: comic too and she's a successful one is either either tune it out a hundred percent or if it's somewhere in your head then go with it. I think that's, that's the call that she's making. And people like her who are successful with it. I was in a so the, the competition night I did at, at Yux this year, we were you know, we we're behind glass and eight of us ignored like it. a stripper. Yeah. Like I was going to say phone booth, but what would your generation know what that is?
0: I've seen them before. You this get, is yeah. last, last week I talked to Kareem Assad and we talked about the decline of pay phones and how, when I worked at bell, they did a study and the only ones that are profitable. Are used by pimps and drug dealers. So there's always
1: going to be demand.
0: There's always going to be demand. I mean, pagers have fizzled out. So you need those payphones to get incoming calls. That's all they have left. This, this is that. So so anyway, I've completely in derailed your story. You did. No, it's uh, great. it's great. You really? did. You, you did yuck yucks. You were behind the glass we behind
1: the glass. You're all. You know th- what you can see the most of is your own reflection. And when you're a guy like me, that's some scary shit.
0: But none oh, of us. you have those big floodlights. You have those big, big floodlights yeah. too on the best of days, but now you've got glare on top of that.
1: Right. So they're, they're bouncing off of you and you're seeing the, the lights, the reflection of the lights and the reflection of yourself mm-hmm. and maybe a few people in the audience. And it's a distanced audience at that. So that's weird. None of us has the the, the wherewithal to, to say, hey, let's call this what it is. We all know this is awkward until Tim Riel gets up there and just fucking you know, kills it. Because he he's, he literally said, "I can't believe none of the people, none of the comics that came up here before me mentioned this awkward box." He, he obviously said it a lot funnier than I did, but that's what that's the choice you make. Is if it's like when there's a heckler, you can ignore yeah. it. Whatever the circumstances are, you can ignore it. Or you can run with it. If you do anything in between. You're fucking dead. I
0: don't have the fast twitch fibers in my head to to engage with with the heckler and, and tell them what I want to say, because I know I'm going to stammer my words and then you're done. You're done. Once once he sees he's got you flustered. I mean, it's just like, you know, the predator with the eyes locked in on you. Even
1: even being a lawyer, though, this this hasn't like even over time hasn't, hasn't they brought that scale I up. Don't,
0: I don't have that level of, you know, sort of battle tested yet. I, you know, I've done a few trials, but it's a different era. It really, I mean, when you think about, when you think about how even like contentious litigation goes, maybe if I was like a criminal defense lawyer and I was in front of a judge every single day, but like, if you do civil lit, you do family law, like realistically, the most you're getting in front of a judge is like once a month twice a month. And, and it's, it's a, it's a far cry from like really old kind of seasoned lawyers who might've been doing it, you know, every other day, they're just in court. They have someone drafting their stuff at the office and just tossing bankers boxes at the door. I feel if you did it every single day for 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. It just becomes so innate to just be nasty and, 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 and go off on somebody, but I'm, I'm too much of a chicken shit, which I think maybe speaks to me not being well-suited to be a lawyer, which I'm okay with. Interesting. I want to do something different. I want to, I want to figure out kind of new opportunities. And, uh, you know, part of it is just having people on here and talking to them about the stuff they do and say, Hey, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about, uh, about X. So, but not ecstasy, not actual X. I know enough about it. I don't need them to tell me more about ecstasy. The, the dealers don't use pagers anymore. They don't, they use payphones or, or, uh, or TikTok. That's, callback. that's what those 13
1: year old girls are doing. They're just, they're a go between It's They're just, they're, just why, a why do you
0: think they're always dancing so much in those uh, videos? There, there you it's, go. It's come full circle. It's gotta be a different experience though. Organizing a room versus just going up there on yucks and, and doing it. And I mean, part of it, you know, we, we organized a few when we were at law school. Part of it is about like know thy audience and then also being able to objectively assess what comics are going to work and what aren't, right? Fortunately,
1: there's there's a really good. and I'm not just you know paying lip service here. There's a really good talent pool yeah. in Ottawa, and we talked about the scenes. And you know, the only other scene I really was was a part of for any length of time was Toronto, and I wasn't I wasn't there for like years and year. Sure, but Ottawa's got a, a good scene, a good level of talent, and not a lot of opportunity for stage time. There's two clubs. Yep. Right. Which actually, you know, relative to, to, to the size of the population, the number of, of comics in the scene, I guess that's that's probably, that's probably fine. But yeah, the, the talent's there. And so our our big thing is, yeah, like you said, there's there's certain types of comics that you want to bring in and rotate through. And if you know, when our show was plugging along monthly, even for a while, we were we were going you know twice a month is try to rotate fresh talent through, have at least yeah, for a while. For years actually, we had one spot reserved for somebody who was who was new, right? Who was either just doing it for the first time or or really green still. We we haven't in the last couple of years, but we always make it a point of at least if you come to this month's show and you were at last month's show, you should see, you know, two entirely different lineups. Of course. Yeah, unless there's just a you know, a walk on, you know, somebody that that that's been doing this for a long time walks in, they were you know they dropped in the last time. We're gonna let them drop in this time, but there's there's been a. I'm gonna I guess address a question without naming any names that you're sort of getting at there, which is that we've had a couple of comics that just weren't appropriate for the audience. And you mentioned you mentioned Greenfields, right? So okay, Greenfields okay. is in Barhaven, and anyone who's not in Ottawa listening to this, Barhaven is just your average suburb. Yeah, it's a little more conservative. It's funny, even the, like the distance from the the brass monkey to Greenfields down Greenbank is what six minutes, twenty seven? minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing, right? And yet, even that, just crossing Hunt Club and crossing the the green belt, and now you're officially in suburbia. Entirely different audiences, and the owner, right the 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 restaurant bar owner approached us after that show and said, "Hey." you know, you're, we're not, we're not a comedy club. This is going to be closer to a church. Yeah. Go ahead and say, fuck, whatever. We don't care, but you got to watch it. And I do not want to ban that comic. I don't want to be the guy who says, you know, fuck free speech where I just, I had a word with him and I, and I, I know him, at least I thought I knew him well enough where I said, Hey, here's, here's the feedback. This is a good opportunity for you to, you know, read the room and come back
0: and, and do it.
1: Guy does the same fucking set two months later. It's like, the hell were you thinking?
0: I actually now I'm I'm genuinely curious who the guy is because I'm I'm I have a couple of names in my head. Don't you know, I'm not gonna press you on it, but that wasn't even where I was going with this. I oh. guess what I was what I was going more for is the idea that I've seen you do stand-up probably upwards of a dozen times. There are God people there you go. <laughs> There's a lot of people in, in the scene where like I know them, I'm friends with them. I will make a point, you know, pre-COVID, I'll go out and see a couple other shows. And it's like, after I've seen your your act, your six minutes, 10, 15, 20 times, I, I know where the punchline's going to be. I I'm not going to be misdirected by anything you say. It's hard for me to objectively gauge whether or not you're, you've done a good set, whether or not your jokes are funny because I just can't bring myself to laugh at it anymore. There's nothing, there's no novelty. There's nothing new to it anymore. You know, I, I, I give you an example. There was like one of these competitions to be on, uh, cracking up the Capitol. And I brought a buddy cause I wanted to go see Lorenzo. I've been, you know, I've been, been telling me about his sets when he was working at the courthouse. I went to go see Lorenzo and he did all right. I thought he did pretty good, but Jen Hayward was there. And, and she ended up winning the competition. My, my, my non-comic friend that I brought was, you know, bust in his gut, thought it was really funny. And I was like, okay, he's, he's my barometer. Cause I've seen Jen do her thing like a bajillion times. And so like, it's not, you know, there needs to be that freshness to comedy. So it's, it's difficult when these are all people presumably that you know that you're booking and you've seen their, their stuff a hundred times. So like, how do you know how it's going to play out? Obviously the obvious example is if somebody's doing like, you know, incest jokes or or doing something that's like really, really dark and risque, that's kind of a persona non grata. But otherwise, I mean, how do you, how do you differentiate? So one of the, one of the ways you
1: do it as a as a producer is, you know, you're, you're in the clubs and you're at you're at other rooms around town and it, it could be a few different things. It, I guess maybe the big one is just seeing a comic and maybe you haven't seen it before. This is probably, you know, I, I saw you at at absolute and you're doing well and the audience was reacting to you. I'm like, ah, great, let's 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 get you in at our room. Um, or it could be a comic that you can tell they've got the potential and they're really rough around the edges. But you, you can also see it in the audience that, you know, the audience wanted, and there, there's a name, I won't, I won't mention it, but someone I saw early on in, in their their stand-up career, saw them at Yucks and said, hey, you got to come to our room sometime. And they're like, really? After this? Like I bomb, I'm like, I'm, I'm not that sure that you did. You may think you did and, and yeah, you may, maybe you didn't get the audience reaction that you wanted. And Yeah, there's, you know, Probably some work you could do on your set, but that's true for all of us. But, but please come to our room. And then they were I, you know, pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah. Cause you're, I, I, you know, I, I found it to be a very warm, inviting room. Yucks is kind of like the black pit of Ottawa, where if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, you know? I mean, absolute. I just find that the audience is a lot warmer for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the Carleton university kids going there and tying a few on or whatever it is, but I, have you have you noticed that, too, or is it just me?
1: Yeah, I don't want really to get into a huge thing about comparing the clubs, but, but for the most part, there's probably people who are I think maybe there's more groups that that go to absolute.
0: Yeah, it could be
1: that or they're there for dinner and a show. And so you've just had a nice, you know, Italian meal on Preston Street. And you're in a good mood. And you've had some vino and, you're, you know, you're feeling good. And now you're ready for a show. And you're there. And you want to laugh.
0: Yeah, I understand you don't want to necessarily compare the rooms, but I think it's it's sort of well-established. There's a different culture between the two. Like if you're going to Yucks, you're expecting to see someone who is like a real, like Gilbert Gottfried wasn't going to go do absolute comedy. I mean, it right. is just it's, it is what it is. I mean, the tier one headliners are going to go through Yucks and maybe because of that, if you're doing open mic shows, there's just that higher expectation. And so if you're not bringing a 10 out of 10, you're just going to get your balls fed to you.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're just they're just different rooms. But yeah. had I seen him at either Yucks or Abs, I would have I would probably have seen reaction. He was just I don't know if it was his first time doing comedy or it was early on for him. But you can, you know, if you if you've, you don't even have to be a comic, if you've been in the audience, if you if you've been to a club enough times, if you've seen enough comedy, you can often tell if somebody's got the potential, and you can just say, hey, they could be great. Or you know what? Give him six months and maybe, maybe they're not, maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah. but I love the opportunity to, to give people a, a chance and he's gone on and, and and done some, some, you know, he's a regular on the scene now.
0: Now that we're, I guess, nine months into our, our COVID lifestyle and you know, this show has been back since what? September, October. Yeah, we did a show and so I think it was September so what so what is it i mean i i I, it sounds like you are a little bit more outgoing than me because i haven't been to a bar restaurant grocery store shopping mall anything since march like anything at all i think i went to a pharmacy once because i needed to get some kind of medication but otherwise like you know unfortunately i'm just not going to go to a, a comedy club anymore what what's it like i mean what's the atmosphere like
1: it's it's weird it's even weirder than it used to be right because everyone's even if there's 50 people in the audience and let's say that's their distancing number right they, they used to have 125 and now they're down to 50 whatever whatever it is you're still talking about first of all there's there's no big groups so there's there's pairs of people and they're sitting in different places in the room and there's a lot of distance in between and the fact that they're there doesn't mean they're 100% comfortable to be there so they're already there with some trepidation at least at least some people are yeah now, thank Christ, there's a screen between you and them. And at, at Yuck Yucks, they did it really well. And absolutely, they've, they've done the same where it's just, it's, it's, it's comprehensive. The, sh- the show that we did, that we pulled off, that we didn't have to cancel in the summertime at our venue, I'm going to be honest, man, that screen wasn't big enough. I wasn't comfortable, right? And I'm, you know, I'm on the stage. And at one point, I just kind of looked over, I could literally, I could look over the screen because it was like a divider. And yeah, the stage is a little elevated, but I just I leaned over and I said, "Does anybody think this is working?" Oh God,
0: <laughs> are you are you scared now, or do you have any any worries about going out, or are you? I mean, I know you're American, so maybe you don't believe in masks and you think it's all just a liberal hoax to get we Joe Biden. have built
1: like in COVID resistance. Except that we're a million of us are getting it every day. I we went out on Saturday for lunch. It was my as I said to Jen afterwards. It was the most I had done because we went we went for lunch. To a Korean restaurant where we were basically the only people there and the people in the room. There was another room on the other side where it was like private dining, right? Which for me was great. And then we went to the Christmas market at Lansdowne afterwards. That's the most I've done since October when we were in Toronto for the long yep. weekend. And then they shut Toronto down. <laughs> well, this was you. Market. If you see a <laughs> pattern there, uh, I'll let you do the math. But uh, and the, the day before that, I uh, Friday, I was at the dentist's office. Now, the two things that they had, the things they had in common, the dentist and the Korean restaurant, was ventilation. Right. right? I just and I, I had been putting off that dental appointment since the summer, just postponing and postponing, and finally like, Ari, you got to come in. And it's good. This isn't on video, but I actually chipped this tooth at some point in the summer, so I do oh. need to get that filled. So I didn't even know it. I was eating a shawarma. I was so excited about the shawarma,
0: I just chipped the tooth. On a shawarma? How hard was it? It's
1: soft food. I asked the dentist about that. She said, well, you probably were grinding your teeth maybe at night or something. And then it it was just, it was fractured and it was ready to go. And it just could have been, you know, the turnip or the pita or whatever just happened. It was the last last straw. Like when I get
0: really stressed, I have to wear a mouth guard at night just to kind of keep, keep everything in there. So I'm just any little bit of soft mush can just kind of snap it off and sort of straw that broke the camel's back. That's frightening.
1: Yeah. I've I've got one of those too. So the mouth guards and yeah, you you keep, keep using that, but
0: But, during the day, we're not using that. But it's interesting what you said about it's, 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 it's the ventilation is really the big thing, which is why they're saying it's very hard to get it going outdoors, which is why we've had these very publicized protests going on and they don't seem to increase you know have a spike in in cases whereas if you're in a closed space you're in a mall you're in a restaurant you're in a dentist's office like that is key being able to kind of filter these things out yeah
1: and so at the dentist's office they have i don't know if you've been since the the pandemic. no they've got a, no one right why why would you so they have every little bit of space a gap between your room and the next room for example it's all it's all taped up, plastic, whatever. There's a there's a heavy like plastic curtain kind of thing when you walk into the room. There's a there's an air filter, like a huge air filter that uh and then they have a, a massage feature on the chair. I don't think that has anything to do with COVID. I think it's just supposed to make you feel better about the potential for, for COVID and also the sharp dental instruments. Now, this is gonna make you not want to go even more, but a lot of the tools that that made the dental experience more comfortable over the last 10, 20 years than it used to be. They can't use those now. Like the so water she, picks and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So she brought out the instruments of torture in that metal case and just started to, to pick bad. away. I didn't even know they, they, they
0: had that. Well,
1: so they like sort be. of
0: route sort of relics from 19th century dentistry, kind of their pliers yeah. and, their, and their needle hook. And that I said,
1: did you go to the, the, the war museum and, and pick that up on the way over? <laughs> so that's ventilated which is which is nice and the if you go for korean barbecue if you've ever been you have a, a grill an actual grill with fire at your table which is impressive there's a hood right above you and so the air is just being sucked out and it's it's going wherever it goes but as long as there's no people immediately around you and we were
0: only a party of two we we're in the same household i thought we were we were pretty safe i've never had that Where you actually cook a Korean barbecue. I've had like Mongolian hot pot, which apparently comes from as far away from Mongolia as you can possibly get. And then, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then I've had, uh, I've like that one I've cooked at my table and then like teppanyaki and that sort of thing. But Korean barbecue, I've always had it kind of bibimbap is like, I want to learn how to make that right as just something about that. That's a total comfort food. If
1: you could have your own stone bowl and and heat that up to, 800 degrees or whatever it is, and then just have that sizzling in, in your, the dining room in your house, you would, you would do that.
0: Right. hundred percent. If I could somehow make that happen. I mean, I have a fire pit, but you know, I don't know that I necessarily want to I, I experiment a little bit, but that that's a bridge too far cooking wise. Fair, but ventilation is key on,
1: on that kind of thing. And, and I Googled it. I Googled it for, to, to, for me, the, these, the smell of. Meat over a fire, especially meat that's been marinated. It's so yes. amazing that that caramelization going on. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And so Korean barbecue is one of those things. And then Japanese has uh, yakitori, which is the chicken skewers. Same concept, right? Meat on a fire with caramelization. So it's just, but it's it's going to be on your clothes all day. So wear something that you don't mind, you know, going home and throwing into laundry as soon as you get home.
0: But other than that, it's it's a beautiful thing. I remember the days when I was worried about the smell of my clothes. I mean, I had a wood fire out on Friday. I have the same pants on right now. I just smell like a pioneer and I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's I mean, you are married, you got kids. It's cool. Am I trying to impress what really honestly? Yeah. Yeah. So, Listen, I'm mindful of the time you said, yeah, I, I have you till 11. We're getting close to that. We have a uh, kickoff meeting coming
1: up at 11 o'clock. So this is, this is good. I should read the notes
0: and, and become familiar with the client that I'm going to help. Um, their marketing go one
1: direction or the other, hopefully the good
0: direction. Ari, this was amazing. I think I have a lot to kind of reflect on post script when I when I record my my intro and exit. But thank you so much for this. And I hope once the world goes back to a new kind of normal, we can we can hang out and do our shtick again in person. And that's episode ten in the books. Thank you so much to Ari Black for sitting down with me for a little over an hour. Felt like longer than that because I had to get rid of all of these random pauses in the audio so that we didn't sound like William Shatner. I had a great time. Ari being sort of semi-nomadic and me being very much a homebody who hasn't left his concentric circle of Ottawa in 34 years. Uh, You know, it's interesting to see how the other side lives and try and get in their head. And that pioneer spirit which all of us have to one extent or another i'm on one end of the spectrum and the idea of someone going to 70 countries wow i mean that that blows my mind um it really goes to what you're comfortable with and how you were raised and um you know what your what your own sort of personal values are and i think we sort of skim the surface of that in an hour but i would love to um you know, just sit down and talk to Ari uh, about his travels at length sometime, and that's one of the things that probably a lot of us miss during pandemic times. so it's, it's interesting to sort of reflect on that sense of journey. Before I go for this week, I know Who Cares If You Listen is the title, but... Just the same, I would love to hear from you and have you tell me what you think about the podcast. My email is antoniomadeapodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's antoniomadeapodcast at gmail.com. I would love to get some feedback on the audio quality, on what you've liked, on what you don't like. Um, Actually, don't tell me what you don't like. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. But if you want to shower me with sort of uncritical praise, I will gladly accept that. Uh, Until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care of yourselves. Who Cares If You Listen is a podcast produced by me, Antonio Jambardino. The opening credits are performed by me. And written by me. The closing credits are based on a minuet by Otorino Respighi and also played by me badly on my Techniques KN 1400. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this podcast, that's nice.